Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. It's actually a mini coaching episode brought to you by our mini coaching sponsors. And for just $5 a month, we get to have a virtual cup of coffee and I get to offer you some personalized insight into a question that you submitted. If you want to join the other mini coaching sponsors, getting their questions answered, you can go to patreon.com slash AT Parenting Survival. And when you join, you'll notice the exclusive bonuses inside as a thank you for sponsoring the show. So today's question comes from a mini sponsor, and I could be talking about your question next episode. We do them probably about once a month, so maybe next month, but I want to talk about how to help our kids advocate for themselves. I'm going to read you the question that's spurred on this topic that I thought was a really good topic to dive deep into. So I have kind of earmarked this entire episode to, to address that question that was submitted to me. But before we get into that, I want to make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any of my episodes when they come out. They come out every Tuesday. And also, I want to make sure that you're not missing my other resources because I am churning out a lot of free support and guidance on many different platforms in many different ways. And so if you listen to my podcast, you should definitely be following me on YouTube and Instagram because I put out different things on both of those platforms. So you can follow my YouTube channel. And a lot of you are doing that because I create videos for your kids and for teenagers. And sometimes I will even put things on there for parents. You can watch my interviews and you can find me, just go to YouTube and you can just search Natasha Daniels and you'll find my channel. I leave links in the show notes, but a lot of you aren't following me on Instagram. So follow me. If you are on Instagram, you can find me at AT Parenting Survival and I'm doing stuff over there that I don't do anywhere else. So join me for that. I'd love to see you there. All right, let's dive into this today. So the question that I got that actually spurred me on doing this topic in general, I'm just going to read it. And she wrote, I've been working with my son, who's almost 13, on his fear of not falling asleep quickly. Again, I'm not sure if this is OCD or anxiety because I do see some rituals. My focus with him right now is creating agency, helping him see that whatever the situation, he has a choice. He has strength and power. This includes advocacy at school. Asking his teacher for help or to clarify something is scary for him. Would you please recommend some resources for me to work with him on believing in his own strength? And I really feel like instead of just, you know, linking resources, I wanted to dedicate an episode to this topic because I am sure that other people out there have the exact same question. In broader terms, how do we create, how do we empower our children's or children's, because we all have many children's, how do we empower our kids to advocate for themselves? And I wanted to take that component of this question. I have done other episodes on how to help our kids empower themselves. So that was episode 187, but that's actually a really good supplemental podcast episode for this topic. So I talk about how to empower our kids and kind of going into her first part of her question as how to create agency, that's kind of a buzzword right now, how to create agency and choice, how to help our kids realize that the really the only way to help themselves with anxiety or OCD 
is to approach anxiety and OCD in a way that they have choices. They have this intrusive thought or feeling or fear, and then what are they going to do with that? And I do talk about that in this episode as well, but I think you're going to find a lot of helpful information in episode 187. So that wasn't that long ago. So go ahead and listen to this one, and then you can earmark that one and listen to that as well, and and you'll get some good advice through that. So I want to start with talking about school. So I broke this up into three parts in this episode. We're going to talk about school, how to get our kids to advocate for themselves in the school environment, regardless of whether it's virtual or in person, how to get our kids to advocate for themselves at home, because learning how to have your own voice begins at home. And I'll talk about what I mean by that in a minute. And the last one, which is really touching on the beginning part of her question, is looking at advocacy also in a way where they advocate for themselves against anxiety or OCD, you know, and that goes back to choice, which is a buzzword. And we're talking a lot about, you know, you hear that in ACT, acceptance, commitment therapy, you know, as far as making choice points, like, you know, am I going to choose to focus on my anxiety or OCD, or am I going to focus on the things that I have value in? And I'm not going to go into that big rabbit hole, but I'm going to talk about that in a general sort of way. How do we get kids to see, to advocate for themselves and what they want in their battle with anxiety or OCD? So three somewhat different types of things when we're looking at advocacy in general. All right, so let's, let's get started. Let's talk about school first. So when our kids have struggles in school, One of the first steps in teaching them how to advocate for themselves is for us to not swoop in. And that's a hard one because when we swoop in without having a conversation with our child or without having them be part of the discussion, they don't learn how to advocate for themselves because they learn that either we've got their back and we're just going to take care of it for them. No need to worry about it. Don't even look at the speed bump. We're going to just drive over it for you. You won't even know it's there. So it can do that. It can also feel a bit disrespectful. So that's a little different, right? The first one is kind of rescuing and the child doesn't even know they needed rescuing because we do it before they even are aware that there's a struggle. But the second one is more about feeling maybe somewhat disrespected, like, my mom or my dad is going to swoop in and they're going to take care of things or they're going to advocate for me. It may not even be my voice or my concern, but my parents are seeing this as a problem and they're going to fix it for me. And the third one is when we swoop in and we don't partner with our child on any level, and we'll talk about what those levels can look like, we can inadvertently convey to our kids that we don't think that they can do it themselves. So swooping in can have its barriers as far as creating the the feeling of efficacy and the feeling of empowerment that that we want to foster in our kids. So what do you do instead? Well, you know, if you have a very young child, you may need to swoop in. But even if you have a very young child, you can have a dialogue, you can have a conversation about that, getting them to identify what their struggles are in school. And If you're developing, if you're in the States and you're developing a 504 plan or an IEP, you know, where there's some accommodations being formed in a school, you can still partner with your child, even if they're in preschool or kindergarten and say, you know, when Mr. Bossy shows up at school, what are the things that he makes it hard for you to do? Let's write them down so that I can talk to the school. We can come up with a plan on how to help you with that. Sometimes we don't really think to have a conversation with our kids that way because they're little. And we think that's not something I really want to talk to them about. I'm going to go talk to the school and the administrators and I'm going to, 
you know, make this smooth transition for them and I'm not going to involve them. And we want to be cognizant of what we do involve them with so that we're not burdening them, but it is good to make them feel heard and to get them used to the idea that things can change at school, or I have a voice, or I can tell them what's upsetting me or what's making it hard. And maybe they can come up with a plan on how to address that. And it doesn't always mean that we over-accommodate it. Sometimes it's just improving that communication with the teacher or letting the teacher know there's an issue. So at the very least, having a conversation with your child can be very helpful. As they get older, we want to be respectful and we want to ask them if they want our help. And I'm going to give you a couple of examples of that and show you how I've been trying to help my kids learn how to advocate for themselves at school. And then once we do that, we either role play with them. If they're going to go back to school and advocate for themselves, we can role play. We can role play with little kids with puppets on how they can talk to their teacher when they're feeling anxious or overwhelmed or how they can advocate with peers when they're feeling overwhelmed or when they're having a problem. So role playing at any level is super helpful. Don't forget about role playing just because you have a 15 or 16 year old. I mean, I role play with my teenager when she would have an issue. She was having an issue earlier in the school year and, you know, we talked about it and we kind of role played in the way that I was like, well, what if you wrote this? Or what if you said that? So role playing can be as babyish as, you know, getting out the puppets and playing with like actual scripting, how a child would say something to a teacher or a peer all the way up to talking to a teenager and role playing And I'm using role-playing in a very loose way now, you know, how are you going to text them back or what can you email your teacher? Let's do it together and I can help you, but have them be the ones typing it or have them be the ones sending it. So even if we're involved, it's like we're training them to have their own voice. So I'll give you some examples. Let's see. Okay. So my son right now, and this has nothing, well, it doesn't really have anything to do with anxiety and OCD, but it does. He has a really heavy bag and because of COVID, they are still currently in school, like a brick and mortar school, but because of COVID, for some reason, they're not having them leave their stuff at the school. They have to carry it back and forth every day. And my daughter, who's in the same exact school, doesn't have to carry anything. Her stuff is left at school. So I have no idea why one grade is doing it and the other one's not. That doesn't make sense to me, but he is very little. He has ARFID. And so he's very underweight and he's a tiny, tiny kid for fifth grade. And he's carrying like no joke, probably 30 pounds on his back. And I did buy him like a backpack that has wheels, but that actually adds weight because he has to go upstairs for his class. He can't wheel it. And so he has to wear it on his back, which is even worse. And it's creating neck problems his feet are hurting. He's having leg issues. Like it's like a big deal when you only weigh like 50 something pounds and you're carrying 30, you know, you're like an ant without like superpowers. So I've been saying to him, can I email the principal (laughs) and just tell her that you're having a problem? And he's like, no, I don't want you to, I got this. And so I have to respect that because, you know, at the end of the day, I think it does cause him a lot of anxiety because he's anxious to get out of the car. Is he going to make make it to his class in time. It's embarrassing for him. I think sometimes when he's struggling, but he's old enough that I have to respect his struggle and leave it because he doesn't want me to advocate. We had a a similar situation when he was like in first grade where the teacher was obnoxious. I don't remember what grade it was. It was early in the year, early in the years. She was, you know, calling him a chatterbox and 
he said, please don't call me that. And then she continued to call him names that she probably thought weren't offensive, but they were really offensive to him. And I asked him, can I say something to her? And he said, no. And I respected that because when they're not really big, big issues, I want him to be able to come to me. And if we don't respect that, and let's say it's a minor issue, it's not putting him in harm's way, then I don't want to ruin my trust with him for him to feel like I can't tell my mom a problem because she's going to just go to the administration and she's going to cause a big deal. So asking them if they want help can be really helpful. Now, conversely, my daughter, who's nine, is not as private. And she recently was having an issue. So she had to change teachers and just mid-year, which was really upsetting for her and caused a lot of anxiety. And I had I had reached out to her original teacher and had said like, hey, she's got anxiety and OCD. This is how it shows up. And please communicate with me. And I did a really good job of communicating with that teacher. But then they switched teachers mid-year, relatively recently. And that teacher promised me that she was going to meet with the new teacher and talk to her. And she did. She And I asked her, can you have include my daughter in it so that she knows And she did. And my daughter was like, it's all good, mom. And so it seemed really good. But then this past week, they've been showing like germ videos at her school, which I totally get, you know, like let's teach the third graders like how to not sneeze everywhere and how to wash their hands. But they're very graphic. They actually like, you know, did like a Petri dish thing or they had someone touch a piece of bread and they showed like how the germs like grew over time and they like slow motioned like people sneezing and like watching how the germs are going really far away. Well, this was really, really upsetting to her anxiety and OCD. And she's not a kid who needs to know that because she's already really careful. And germs have been like a back burner issue for her. They're not her front burner issue, but this just brought it way up to the front. So she was panicking. She came home and was having an anxiety attack. She was freaking out on her brother because he hadn't washed his hands. She was washing her hands nonstop. And it was like this whole new OCD theme was created by this video. So, you know, we just dealt with it. And I was just like, I'm sorry about that. Did you tell your teacher that, you know, you struggle? And she's like, I did. And she said, it's it's fine. And so then I think like it was like the next day or like a couple of days later, they showed another video. And it was, I think it was the bread video. So I don't know why there's two videos like this, but my daughter advocated for herself. Um, She's very vocal. And she went up to the teacher and she said, I have anxiety and OCD. And the last video was really upsetting for me. And I can't watch this one. It's too upsetting. And the teacher said, it's just about washing hands. You're fine. Go sit down. And so it really felt, it felt overwhelming for her because she felt like she wasn't heard. She had advocated for herself and then she wasn't heard. So she came home and she said, she was so upset. And she said, mom, they did it again. And I'm having a horrible day. And and I said, did, well, did you tell your teacher that you have anxiety and OCD? I did. And she said, it's not a big deal. It's just showing you how to wash your hands. And so the mama bear in me was like, okay, well, I just need to like email this teacher right now. In fact, I want to pull over before we even get home and email her. Cause I was just like, you gotta be kidding me. But I paused and I said to her, do you want me to email the teacher? Cause I can email the teacher if you want me to. And if she said no, I would have let her navigate herself because I'm teaching self-efficacy and that this is her deal, not my deal. But luckily she's like, yes, mom, please email her, which I was really happy about because I felt like the teacher probably just didn't know the level of anxiety and OCD that she had. And that's on me. That's my bad. So I emailed her and I was just like, Hey, she has a clinical diagnosis. 
she sees a therapist. I mean, I don't throw in there that like I'm a therapist, but these are her issues. This is why it's a problem. And the teacher was really nice. And I was like, we can have a meeting about this. Or, you know, if I need to get a 504, and don't be afraid to do this, by the way, like just say to the school, if I need to get a 504 to make sure that these things don't happen, I'm more than happy to do it. Just let me know if I need to. And most teachers or administrators are like, no, 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 it's okay. We'll just make sure that doesn't happen again. So, but I let her lead the the vocal advocating. So if your child's not like that, and I don't think my son is as good at advocating for himself as my daughter is, role play with them, but don't take over. And so if there's any part that you can pull back on, do that so that you can start getting them to get their feet wet, to know that you're not the one in the driver's seat they are. And you can always say to your kids, oh, that sounds really rough. What do you think you should do about it? Or how can you fix that? Or what can you say to the teacher um, that you think will help? And then, you know, put these breadcrumbs out so that they can start to think about it themselves. Because I think all too often we swoop in and we say, oh my gosh, well, did you tell the teacher that you were anxious about that? Because what you need to do is tomorrow tell her that blah, 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 blah. And then we script it, but we don't let them think about it. So sometimes it's good for us to sit back and say, what do you think would be the next best step? You know, what do you think you could do to make going back to school a little bit better? Or what can that situation, what could improve that situation? And we just want them to start thinking about it before we plant ideas, because when they think about it and you're not filling in the gap, that stuff sticks a lot more. And we're also teaching them how to problem solve their own situations. So that's some stuff at school. And that can be peer related or, or teacher related. Let's switch gears and talk about home. Now you might be thinking, well, does my child really need to advocate at home? I mean, I don't get that, Natasha. And they do. Because if they can't vocalize their problems at home, they're definitely not going to be able to vocalize their problems at school. So learning how to articulate their struggles at home is the baby step to advocating themselves at school, with their peers, in their work environment as they get older, in their relationships, everything. So we want to teach our kids to articulate what they need. And you can do this in various ways. I'm going to try to think of an example that's going on in my house. Okay. I have a, I feel like I always have examples. I have one from last night. Let me think how to like explain this. So my son was upset with my daughter, my younger daughter, because they were playing some sort of indoor basketball game. I have no idea. They get a laundry basket and a balloon and they play some game and she wasn't being cool. She kind of cheated. And so he has a whole like right and wrong, fair or not fair, kind of moral OCD-ish kind of mentality that he cannot handle when someone does something that seems not fair. And I'm sure that some of you are like, yes, me too. We have one of those. So that's what's going on in my house. And so he was really angry and he could not shake it off. So he didn't want to play with her. He was really mad at her. And he holds on to those things for a very long time. She's moving on. She's like got her iPad and she's like, I'm on to some some other stuff. So she's fine and she goes and she sits in a beanbag in our living room and he flips out on her. And I start going into this whole thing of like, hey, you don't control where she sits. You may be upset right now and you need to refocus. You know, like you're just sitting there like stewing in your anger. You need to refocus and go do something you enjoy right now. So go play Roblox. Don't just sit here and think about how angry you are at her. Go play Roblox. And he's like, get out of the beanbag, get out of the beanbag. And I'm like, stop controlling her. She does not have to do what you say. And then eventually 
maybe like 10, 15 minutes into this, he goes, I need her to get out of the beanbag because the computer is right next to the beanbag and I don't want to be near her. And I was like, oh, well, that's a really good point. I wish he had brought that up earlier uh, because I don't want him near her anyway, because he's kind of unpredictable. And so I said to him, if you could vocalize that, if you could say that earlier and you could say, mom, I want to go play on the computer, but blah, blah, blah is sitting in the beanbag right now. Her name's not blah, 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 but you know what I mean? And I don't want to be near her. So I said, if you had said that in a calm way, or if you had just told me that, then I wouldn't, I would have a different conversation with you instead of telling you not to control her. So then I was, I was just like, Hey, can you go in my room and hang out instead of being in the beanbag? And my daughter was like, that's fine. I don't care. And she got up and left. And then he sat down. So that's advocating. That's teaching him how to advocate for himself. I was misunderstanding him. I was getting upset with him. He wasn't telling me what he needs. And I was training him how to teach me. Now you can use a zillion different examples. That's just one example, but giving our kids a voice and showing them that if they can articulate what the struggle is, then we'll understand them better and we can help them better. That can be really helpful. Now that doesn't mean that they articulate that they, we need to do a compulsion for them or that we need to accommodate their anxiety or OCD. And if they could just articulate it, then it would happen. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about situations where maybe they need some space or situations where something is hard for them. And let's say, I'll give you another example, just so we can kind of solidify this a long, long time ago. And I've used this example in the past. Let me think if I can think of another example other than this one. I don't know. This one's a good one. So I'll just use this. My son, we were doing chores and this was like years and years ago. And he was having a problem with going and emptying the little trash baskets around our house And he was being very oppositional about doing the chore. And it took a lot of us, you know, bumping heads and me getting very frustrated for him to eventually say, I don't like that chore because I don't like going into dark rooms and I don't like, you know, that I'm afraid someone's going to pop out. And so it wasn't even about the dark. And when he articulated that, I said, okay, well, thank you for sharing that. And I changed his chore. And so he was able to do something else. I said, well, pick a chore because you have to participate in doing something. And he did. And then we worked on that fear because I'm not going to have him work on his fear by doing a chore. We did exposures, exposures with him going into dark rooms and exposures with him going places that were scary. And so, but we made it more of a clinical thing. It was more of an exposure and challenge thing instead of just a daily chore, because you don't want your daily chores to be exposures. If they're triggering your child's anxiety or OCD, you want it firmly in the anxiety and OCD exposure or challenge category and not, this is your chore. This is what you need to do. By the way, it's going to trigger all your stuff and you just have to deal with it. So that was him advocating, letting me know that he was having a struggle. And it didn't mean that he got to avoid it permanently, but we treated it differently than just a chore that you're being difficult about. So I hope that makes sense. Um, the last thing I want to mention when it comes to teaching advocating at home is how they interact with other family members who don't know their anxiety or OCD. So often what winds up happening in many homes that I see in my practice and in my online community is that some family members won't know about the anxiety or OCD and the parent who knows about it. Often it's the mom is the translator. So maybe your brother doesn't know that that OCD thing is really triggering for you. So I'll go tell your brother to stop doing that or your dad doesn't know anything about your intrusive thoughts. So I will tell him to leave you alone when you're having this or to not go in your room or to not touch this. And when we become that buffer, 
that translates anxiety or OCD for the rest of the family. We are sometimes robbing our kids of the opportunity to advocate for themselves. So letting other people know in their house, when you do that, that upsets me because blah, blah, blah. We can use that situation to teach our kids to be their own voice and to not necessarily cocoon them and protect them from other family members in their house. And I'm not talking about extended family members. I'm talking about family members in your house. I really do believe that it is not healthy for us to long-term keep anxiety and OCD a secret or for our child to think that only you know about their anxiety or OCD, but dad doesn't, or my brothers and sisters don't. There is a privacy thing and there is confidentiality, but I do feel like when it comes to anxiety and OCD, it's a family affair. It involves everybody, whether we want it to or not, it impacts everybody. And it's important to, to send the message to our kids that it's not a taboo thing. It's not an embarrassing thing. It probably runs in your family, most likely, and lots of people have it. And it's not something that we're going to keep secret. And I think you may not be able to do that in one big step, but I think baby steps towards that is really important because when we keep that a secret and we say, okay, we won't tell dad or dad doesn't know about your OCD or really conveying the message that there's some shame involved and that it's something that they should keep private. So because it does impact the whole family, we want to move towards getting them to advocate for themselves. And that's with their parent, their other parent or their siblings, what they need or what the problem is or what the struggle is or what can help them. And practicing that at home is really important. Okay. So we covered school. We've covered home. Let's talk about advocacy when it comes to actually anxiety and OCD directly. So you want to teach your kids to look at anxiety and OCD in a way that anxiety and OCD wants you to do this or feel this, and you get to choose whether you want to advocate for yourself and say, I don't want that. You're trying to make me not be able to go to this party. I'm just using that as an example. No one's going to parties probably right now, but, and I really want to do that, but you're making me feel nervous because you're making me feel like I'm going to throw up. Or I really want to just be able to read this book, but you're telling me I have to reread these words over and over again until they feel just right. And you're ruining the story for me. So I get to choose whether I'm going to listen to you and let you bother me, or am I going to kind of advocate for myself and say, I want to read this book and I want to enjoy it. And so you're not going to rob that from me and take that away from me. And that kind of goes back to act like acceptance, commitment therapy and agency. I don't really speak like that to kids, like creating agency or, you know, choice because they don't understand that. And frankly, I just like, I like simplistic language. You know, I think I don't like jargon and I think kids appreciate less jargon too. So, and it can wind up being a little blamey when we talk about choice. To me, I think you'd be super careful about how you talk about it with a child Because if you don't have anxiety and OCD and you start talking about it's your choice or you have a choice to listen to anxiety or OCD or to do something you really enjoy, which is very much um, in vogue right now and it's very, it's like the buzzword, you just have to be careful not to be very blamey. Because if you have anxiety and OCD, you get that it's a lot more complicated than that. It's not as simple as I can choose to listen to my anxiety or OCD or I can choose to do the things that I value and that I think are important. I mean, yes, that's true, but it's not as simple as that. It might seem simple to someone who doesn't have anxiety or OCD to say, well, just don't listen to it. 
or just don't do that compulsion or just don't avoid, like you have a choice. It's like, well, you know, it's a little complicated. It's hard and it takes a lot of bravery and it takes a lot of willpower to sit with all that discomfort and choose a thing that I like to do and ignore anxiety or OCD while it's being so loud telling me all these scary things or all this discomfort. So you can use that language. I think you just have to be careful in how you use it, making sure that you validate their struggles, validate, you know, how hard it is. And you can use it in more of an empathized sort of tone, such as, um, I think of an example. Let me think. I know my daughter was, okay, this is an example for, from a while ago, but we like to go thrift shopping together. <laughs> it's fun. And so a while back, my daughter and I were going to Goodwill to go thrift shopping and she was getting anxious to go initially because she was worried that she might throw up. She has a metaphobia, but she also has sensory motor OCD where she worries that she might have to pee a lot. So she's having kind of a mixture and it kind of just turns into like panic, panic about leaving the house. So she was panicking about leaving the house. And in that instance, I said, it makes me so sad that your O cloud is trying to ruin our day and take away the fun things that we like to do. And it makes me sad for you. So I'm not, I'm not shaming her or blaming her or saying, you have a choice. You can either listen to your anxiety or OCD, or you can choose to have fun with me and go thrift shopping. It was more empathetic. Like, I'm so sad that O'Cloud's trying to ruin this for you and make all this fun stuff miserable. And you have a choice. We can listen to O'Cloud. We can stay home and, you know, kind of grow it bigger. And I know that's, that's easier in the moment, but kind of sad because then you'll never want to go thrift shopping again, or you can choose to, you know, not listen to your O'Cloud. And I know that might be a really big struggle for you in the beginning, but you can choose to say, you know what, I'm going to, you can try to make me feel like I'm going to throw up and I may or may not throw up when I get there, but I'm still going to do this because you're not in charge of me. And that's how we develop advocacy for themselves, right? That she's, she's advocating for herself against her OCD and her anxiety. And we actually went to the thrift store. She was able to go. And then she had a panic attack in the thrift store and she did her own stuff. She, I didn't, I didn't know she was having a problem. I kind of walked away or I was like a little bit farther down from her. And I saw her looking like she was panicking and then she was in a good mood. And I was like, you look like you're panicking, but now you seem okay. Is everything okay? And she's like, I told my O'Cloud, like not today, O'Cloud, you're not doing this. And she advocated for herself. So when we teach our kids how to advocate, it's kind of nice to use that word when we're talking about advocating for themselves. I kind of like that word better than choice. And maybe that's just my bias having my own anxiety issues. But I feel like when we say you have a choice, and this is probably just me like over reading and over analyzing, hearing people talk like that in, you know, the anxiety and OCD community. I feel like it's a little blaming and I know that's not the intention, but I wouldn't want to say to my kid, you have a choice to like, just struggle with anxiety or OCD or not. It's like, well, like physiologically, I didn't ask for this. And I, you know, they already blame themselves so much. So I do like the word, maybe like advocate for yourself or, you know, stick up for yourself. I like that verbiage better. Like, I'm going to stick up for myself. My anxiety and OCD is trying to bully me around. I really do like the metaphor of like pushing back. And you have to find what works for your child because all of our kids are different. But that's kind of the language that I use in my house. And you have to find what works for your kid. But developing that empowerment and that desire to, to choose in that sense, whether they're going to, you know, let anxiety and OCD bully them or if they're going to try to fight back 
is good. And you can use that language. You just have to be careful with how you use it. Make sure that you're empathetic. So, okay. That was long-winded, but I hope that you understand where I'm coming from. And I hope that that helps give you some ideas. And I hope that helps the mini coaching sponsor who submitted that question. I hope that you find that helpful. If you are enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to hit a star on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or whatever they call it, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast, there's probably a star there where you can rate it. And I really appreciate it when people just take the time to hit a star. That's just a really nice way to give back. And if you have a few extra minutes and you can leave a review, I greatly appreciate that because it lets other parents know that there's value in the show. Um, And I always like to end my show reading one of them if there has been one that I get notified about. So I want to thank Dana for writing. Thank you. She wrote, I just discovered this podcast from a Google search after my child received a diagnosis of OCD. Your website and podcast have already encouraged and informed me and my husband so much. Thank you for this content. Well, thank you for taking the time to leave a review and you're even new to the podcast and you took the effort and time to leave a review. So I appreciate that. It's nice to hear that I'm showing up in a Google search. I feel like I never show up in Google searches and I'm like, why? Well, I kind of know why, but SEO is not my friend, but that's good news. So if you have something nice to say, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. Uh, Don't forget to follow me over on Instagram at AT Parenting Survival. I hope to see some of you guys over there and I'll be talking to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 